0: Will you pray with me? God, we come to this time with so many different stories and so many different ways of experiencing your presence. As we think about those things, as we ponder your holy scriptures, may you be especially close to us. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In August of 2010, just a couple days after he turned 50, my dad had a massive heart attack. He was in Philly for work, and I was in Philly beginning my second year of seminary. So I was the first to get the call from his business partner and the first to get to the hospital as the rest of my family lives in Ohio. My roommate drove me to pick up Zach um, and then we drove to Ches- Crozier Chester Hospital uh, on the south side of Philly, where I met his tear soaked partner and a doctor who told us what had happened that it was really bad, the kind of heart attack they call the widow maker, and that, didn't, and that they didn't have high hopes for his survival. Over the next several hours and days, my immediate family, my grandparents, and some friends, um, some family friends arrived. But he remained unconscious for five weeks. So I spent my days traveling between classes and the hospital. A lot of that time felt like a blur. My emotional landscape was all over the place during that time. I was filled with fear, uh, sadness, Anger and rage, bewilderment, numbness. I don't know that I could actually recall to you the details of those days, except to say that I felt incredibly helpless. All I could do was pray, trust the professionals in the room, and wait. However, I was really surprised that even though I was a student in seminary, studying to become minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I could not pray. Nothing verbal or, co- or, or coherent, anyway. My quiet prayers during that time were just, ah, blankety-blank-blank, blank, or help, help, which I suppose are probably the most honest prayers I have ever prayed. But talking to God about all of that seemed too overwhelming. Like if I tried to speak to God, something in me would break, and I was doing everything I could to keep it together. However, I was very open and receptive to, even desperate for, the prayers of others. Those of my friends, of Zach, and especially my dad's pastor, who drove all the way to Philly from Ohio, to offer us his love and his accompaniment. When he prayed for my dad, I felt like my spirit was able to connect to God again for the first time in days. And I could finally exhale all the breath that I had been holding on to. My community and my community's my family's community showed up for us in huge ways. Pastors, church folk from home, extended family members, people who were praying for us and checking in, sending money for food or delivering a home-cooked meal. My my small group that I was a part of did like a potluck meal and brought it all to the hospital and sat sat with me and with Zach one day. And these people sat with us in the darkness, in the uncertainty. In the chaos. I didn't know how to pray or feel or believe or hope, but those around me did. They did it for me when I couldn't, and they got me through the day my, through to the day that my dad was actually able to return home, and he is still alive, living on collateral veins, but he is still alive and well. I'm forever grateful for the compassion that met me every moment of those awful days. The faith and love of others is what got me through, not necessarily my own. When we meet Jesus in these particular moments of his journey, as found in the Gospel of Matthew, he had just received the terrible news that his cousin John, or as we know him, John the Baptist, had been senselessly murdered by the order of Herod Antipas, ruler of Galilee, on account of his vanity and his pride. And I won't, I'll spare you the details because it's incredibly gruesome and just awful. But it was a display, I'll say that. And before he heard this particular news, he was likely already feeling pretty discouraged. For a while, he had had a pretty successful teaching and preaching career. Crowds would travel far and wide to hear his teachings and his stories, seeking healing, spiritual truth, and sustenance for their own lives. However, when he and his disciples arrived at his hometown of Nazareth to preach and teach, his hometown folks rejected his message. And in many ways, they rejected him. A lot of us can appreciate this. We go home and all of a sudden we're children again, right? And then he receives this news. That John, Jesus' older cousin, by just a couple months, had baptized him, had prepared the way for Jesus' ministry, and called people to repent of their sins and turn to God. John, who spoke truth with such conviction no matter the cost, This John was killed, and it was because of this news that Jesus withdrew by himself. His spirit was low, to say the least. Even if he intellectually knew that being rejected in his hometown would not necessarily stop his ministry, it isn't hard to imagine that this rejection was painful. Seen his calling rejected by people who he loved, who had watched him grow up, and helped nurture him into the man he became. And then his cousin, and in many ways his mentor, had his life tragically, traumatically, and violently taken. And that grief was overwhelming it mustn't it, it mustn't have escaped him either that if this could happen to john who was doing the same kind of ministry that he was it most certainly could happen to him too so he needed some time alone all of you who are introverts can probably appreciate this more than the extrovert that i am but he needed to be alone we don't often focus on that part of Jesus' humanity in our preaching and teaching about him because we tend to focus much more on the times when he was bold, when he was quick-witted, when he was strong-worded. But in this particular text, we interact with the Jesus who is a, is feeling very, very deeply. So he stole away to a deserted place to mourn. To gather his thoughts, to pray, to recenter. And we don't know how long he was in that place, but we know that when folks heard the news about John as well, they came looking for Jesus, needy, grieving, fearful for their own lives. Many in that crowd were likely coming for marching orders as well, ready to revolt against the senseless assassination of one of the movement's leaders. When things like that happen, we respond in all kinds of ways. So when Jesus saw the crowd, he didn't turn away, he rather had compassion. His own current neediness and emotionally sensitive heart met the neediness and emotionally sensitive hearts of his people with compassion. And that compassion led to action. He went ashore and he began tending to the hurting people who came seeking him. I find it fascinating that in the story, he didn't like come to shore and start like teaching and giving some kind of apologetic for what has happened and how we're going to stay strong he came and he healed and he touched and he was with and he did this all day long so when his disciples saw that it was getting late and that all of these people had to eat they kind of elbowed him and said hey uh, jesus these people got to eat maybe you just close in prayer and let them go But Jesus looked at them and said, no need. Go ahead and feed them. The disciples look at him with bewilderment in their eyes, both at Jesus and at the crowd. That was probably more like 15,000 than 5,000 because the 5,000 were just the men. so they're looking at Jesus and at these people with a bag of five loaves of bread and a couple fish. Their response to him in a nutshell was, we have nothing. They did have something, as we know, but they only saw what they didn't have. And that was enough. He told them to hand over what they had, He took it, he prayed over it, he blessed it, distributed some to each of the disciples and told them to feed the crowds. And it became enough. It became more than enough because at the end, after everyone had had their fill, not just so that everybody could have a little bit, but after they had their fill, they collected 12 baskets full of leftovers. Talk about abundance. Now, this miracle story, as Zach mentioned, is the only one that is found in all four Gospels because it was so central to the personhood and life of Jesus Christ. Infinitely generous, abundantly and limitlessly compassionate, disarming, and a calming presence in the midst of chaos and the impulse for violence. His compassion made all of the difference, and he gave his disciples all they needed to meet the very practical needs of those around them with a bunch of leftovers. That is the Jesus that we worship. Just like the faith and love of my community got me through that dark time almost 13 years ago, the faith and love of Jesus and his disciples got the crowd through that very dark time. As you consider the generosity and compassion of Jesus, I wonder when you have witnessed the power of compassion recently. And that's a real real question. I gave my father just some money. (laughs) mm <laughs> Richard, the question is when have you witnessed the power of compassion recently? Thank That's a beautiful story. Thanks. Anybody else? I guess. When we grabbed it, we had my sister. And she driving back the hospitals. And she will tell you that she feels that it's was the compassionate prayers to look at her. Charlie? When we moved, yeah, we had a lot of compassion when we moved. Our uh, friend Luke Johnson came and uh, helped us get things hooked up. Lisa came and helped all kinds of ways. Deb, Deb, this community really showed up for us because if you've ever moved, it's a disaster and <laughs> it can feel very, very overwhelming and just people showing up. Yeah, agreed. I wonder, in times of grief, what has been helpful? I can think of a lot of things that aren't helpful um, when we're grieving. Things that people say, "Oh, it's God's plan," or you know, whatever. But what what has been helpful in times of grief? When, how have people shown up and loved you? Yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. 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 Yes. I think when people anticipate these kind of are showing up and help with whatever needs can help with rather than I mean, there's a lot of people who are willing to help if you can say, can you bring me a meal on such and such things? But people who are able to like live mental life, you know, and I think that's the Zach and I have been talking a lot about that that this week. That when things are going really bad, my, my impulse is to say, let me know how I can help. Like, I don't really have time to like, think about how, like, I, I, I'm not going to do the work for you. (laughs) Like, but I do need to eat. I do need toilet paper. I do need, you know, like my kids are going crazy. Like how, you know. when she was in the depths of her depression and there was a friend who was well-meaning and kept wanting to help, but instead of like bringing food, And she said, all I needed was somebody to throw a lifeline, like throw me a rope, I'm down in the pits. And this person just kept saying, do you want the green rope? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I would add to that too, people who know when I when not to touch me. Um, when I'm in pain, because sometimes I really want to be held, other times I think that if you touch me I might freak out. Um, so people who who know. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. anticipate what needs are Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Time to breathe when people are clean. Ooh, yes. Just came in and took out the trash or washed up the dishes. I remember close friends with my parents when my mom passed. They came over to the house and in like all of Mm They just took care of everything, anticipating that we're about to have a house full of people. And I think speaks to that. Like people just showed up and knew that this was going to be some, this was going to be like a thing you were going to have to do and worry about that. You just don't have the space and capacity to do. I love that. and mm-hmm. I think the story of like John the Baptist dying that being someone who Jesus loved and someone that other people look to as kind of like um, the rally cry for the new for for the kingdom of God um, Jesus was grieving but then like also needed to comfort and so like this way of being with one another in our brokenness and not needing to be, like, stronger or or weaker or, or anything. Like, that all kind of goes out the window, and everybody is kind of on the same level playing field. And so what did Jesus do for a bunch of grieving, angry, sad people? Like, he fed them. He fed them, and he hung out, and he listened, and he did these things that, like, He met people right where they were um, in his grief. And so when we're trying to comfort people, like that grief touches us too. If you've been on either side of that. Um, Yeah. In a couple moments, we're gonna take communion together. And as we move towards those moments, may this table not only remind you of the Last Supper when he sat around the table the night he was betrayed and blessed and broke bread with them. May it also remind you of the miraculous abundance present when Jesus broke and blessed and distributed the bread and the fish and provided enough in that deserted place in the wilderness to satisfy the hunger of 5,000 and more people. May it remind you of Christ's abundance of love for you this day. May it remind you that God's compassion is still as present and wide and invitational as it ever was. And that God sees you and hears you and is with you no matter if you can speak what those needs are or not. Let us pray.